Episode 244 of the PJ Archive is an interview I did with the Welsh singer, actor and presenter Alid Jones. Best known in Britain for fronting TV shows such as Daybreak and Songs of Praise and on the radio for the BBC and Classic FM. Alid became an international star as a teenage chorister having a big hit with the song Walking in the Air in 1985, the year he was the subject of an Emmy Award-winning documentary called The Treble. He worked with the likes of Leonard Bernstein and Mike Oldfield. He sang for Pope John Paul II and leading members of the British royal family, and at the wedding of Bob Geldof and Paulie Yates. And he starred in the stage musical Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. This interview took place in the garden of a restaurant close to Alid's London home in 1999 when he was promoting an album entitled From the Heart. You were from a family of singers or entertainers or anything? No, nothing like that. Um, there's always been kind of loads of music in the family. Grandparents and stuff were always involved in choirs or you know, my granny used to play the piano and all that sort of stuff. And my great uncle used to be an agent for recorded music publishers who published all their these operas and everything. Right. He was based in London. But my mother and father always enjoyed music but they never sort of did anything. The furthest my mother's kind of musical stardom goes is playing Incy Wincy Spider to yeah. primary school kids, you know, where she teaches. But that's about it really so it, it kind of missed one generation and then landed all on me but then none of them have been you know world famous or anything like that they were just sort of well known in their local communities I expect a lot of people imagined that you were pushed into it because you became famous when you did yeah um, it, it's funny because it couldn't be further than from the truth because the whole thing was an incredible fluke and to this day I keep saying I was just in the right place at the right time I wanted to have piano lessons I'd sing around school from the age of about six or seven anyway because you're not forced but you in school in Wales you do take part in competitions well, it's, it's and yeah. exactly. You know, you you play rugby and sing, and that's it. Yeah. You know, you know. I always sang anyway, but I wanted to have piano lessons. And we've been told that the best piano teacher taught in the cathedral in Bangor. Right. So along we went, my mother and I. How old were you? I was about eight and a half, nine. Right. And I'd never even been into a cathedral. I didn't even know what a cathedral was probably, but I knew I'd never been into a cathedral or a church that big before, and it was amazing. Went up to where the choristers sort of rehearsed and everything. And I just sort of talked to him for, for a minute and he said, well, we'll sing a few scales, I just want to see if you've got sort of any musicality or anything like that, if you can pick a note. And I just sang the scales and he, and he sort of went, well, can you wait outside for a minute? And spoke to my mum and said, well, Alec would be good enough to go to Canterbury, you know, that, to the Canterbury Cathedral or St Paul's Cathedral. Well, do you think you'd done something wrong when you said go outside? Well, kind of, yeah, because it was all kind of so alien to me, but yeah. even it, even more alien to my mum, mm. you know, because bless her hearts, we'd gone there for piano lessons and yeah. suddenly she was being told <laughs> that I could go away to live, you know. So basically he said, well, his mum said, well, I don't think he'd want that, but, you know, she asked me, anyway, and I was like, not, not a sniff, you know, I miss my friends, and I like being in Sandegwan School, and I'm looking forward to going to David Hughes School. And so basically they said, well, why doesn't he join the Cathedral Choir here? And in my eyes, you know, I never thought about doing that sort of thing. I didn't, I always kind of went to church, but, you know, not to the level of going, singing on Tuesdays, Thursdays, rehearsing on Friday and Saturdays, and two services on a Sunday. So... Dad said, no, nah, no, you carry on playing your football, you know, you'll play for Man United before long and all this business. And Mum said, well, if you know, if he wants to sing and everything. And so in the end, they just said, well, why don't you decide, you know, you can maybe do both. And so I thought about it. And one Friday, I went up to their youth club, you know, the 
choir was having a kind of youth club on Friday night, and there were loads of girls there, and sort of everyone was having a really good time playing football. And I thought, yeah, great, might as well do it. I'm, I'm really glad I did because you know it was probably the best grounding I could have ever had, sort of discipline-wise, not just for music but for life, for everything. You know, it's 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 made me quite sort of um, I don't flap about many things. You know, I kind of um, and that's down to the cathedral. I think you know it's it sort of it gave me stability from a really early age. It's interesting hearing you say that because a lot of people would say it's not a real existence, kids should have a normal life. But you're saying it was very beneficial then? Um, but basically, I don't know how it's what it's like if you've been a residential choir school where yeah. you're away from home. I would have hated that because right. home life's always been really, really, really important to me. My mum and dad are probably my best friends. And I suppose there could be a different kind of pressure then. I'm not sure if it is true to life if you're in a mm. choir school. You know, it's, it's not really a microcosm of society or anything. I don't mm. think, you know, you're, you're, you're revolving around the services and the cathedral constantly. But with me, the minute I'd finished in the cathedral, I was back home or out in the fields playing with my friends or whatever. So I did get the best of both worlds, really. The only thing I couldn't do... Oh, no, that came later when I was actually, you know, performing for real was yeah. kind of, you know, get colds and stuff like that because, of course, you need to... Need to be healthy. Yeah, you need yeah. to be able to sing more or less. What about the theory that everyone from Wales can sing? It's funny because I went to Sydmonton once, you know, Lloyd Bell's yeah, house, yeah. for a because they always have a, a festival where they used to, I'm not sure if they do yeah, all the time they do, now. Yeah. They do. Mm. But in the old days, it was kind of a, he would always used to launch his new musical there, you know. So I went down, because we got quite friendly because I was recording quite a lot of his stuff. And he had a debate, which they do for the last sort of Saturday of the oh, yeah. festival. And the debate this year was, the Welsh can sing no better than anyone else. <laughs> and of course I was on the side of the Welsh with Max Boyce and so and someone else. Somebody else. Uh, and against us was Selwyn Gummer, quite a few people, and of course Weber himself. And I was speaking on behalf of saying, of course we are. You know, take take the Zulus for instance. Yeah. You know, we defeated the Zulus with just men of Harlech. You know, <laughs> of course we sing better than anyone else. So, um, I don't think everyone in Wales sings. I think they encourage it like mad at school, which I think is a great thing because it always makes for a happy atmosphere. I don't know if everyone's singing. But I had friends at school that absolutely hated it with a vengeance, you know. When you went to choir school, did you immediately stand out? Did they immediately pick you out and say, this guy's really special? I don't think so because, as I say, it wasn't a school. It was just a, we turn up sort of on Tuesday nights, half an hour before the service. Our main rehearsal days were Friday we do three hours and Saturday we do three hours. And I was the youngest in the choir when I first joined. And so I had to learn such a lot because I couldn't read yeah. music. You know, my voice was nowhere near as sort of proficient as it was when I was leaving the choir. So you weren't a natural then? Because I think everyone would expect you to have been a natural. Well, I suppose I, 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 mean, I was an, always a natural singer, mm. but um, it was totally different music to what I'd been used to before. You know, singing things like responses or some stuff like that, which you know I'd never even heard of before. Because in Fat Lake Parish Church, you'd just go, Amen, but not, Ah, you know, all this sort of business. It was kind of so, you know, I wasn't used to it at all. It was totally different to what I'd done before. So it took me kind of a couple of years to, when you're a probationer, uh, when you're a tadpole in the cathedral, to kind of learn what it's all about. But very quickly after that, I was doing all the solos, you know, every Sunday, every Tuesday. If there was a, if there was a boy solo, I would always do them. What age were you by then? 10, 11. There was a lady in the congregation who came to every service, a lady called Havina Orwig Evans, and she used to love my singing. She was constantly nagging my mum to record my voice. So mum, much to my embarrassment, would turn up to a cathedral with a sort of rusty old ghetto blaster, and just as I'm about to sing, she'd go, record, and I'd go, oh, God! 
all the other quiet boys sort of nudging themselves going, look at that. So Hevina got a bit miffed and decided that she'd take sort of the law into her own hands and wrote to a local recording company asking them to record my voice but without us knowing. Basically for a private thing, more or less. They turned around and said, oh, that'd be a great idea. We've got a chorister in South Wales who's got a nice voice. We'll call it, you know, Boy Choristers of Wales or whatever. And we'll release it. Great. We got a letter through the post. And I was like, wow, a record. Um, I'm not sure about this. So I met two singing teachers who were willing to kind of coach me and who did coach me throughout my career as a boy. Right. Um, Robert Wynne and Julie Wynne Roberts. And so I decided, okay, I'll do the album. I'll make, I'll make this album. The other boy backed out for some reason. So they said, well, why don't you do the whole album? Recorded it. And it was only on sale in Wales. And, you know, no one was what was it called? It was called Diol Chachan. Yeah. Right. What does that mean? Thanks and praise and songs. Sort of right. Songs okay. of praise sort right. of thing. But for some reason, you know in St David's Hall in Cardiff, mm-hmm. it's sort of the National Hall of Wales. Well, my record was on sale there one evening in a concert. And they don't sell records there. So why it was on sale there, who knows? I still to this day don't know. But there was a BBC Wales producer who was shortly to do a concert with Sir Neville Mariner, Emma Kirkby, Anthony Ralph John. BBC Wells Symphony Orchestra Chorus, Jephthah, Handel's Jephthah. He needed a boy travel to play the part of the angel. Just a recitative, no aria, supposedly. So he bought my album, liked it, asked me to play the part of the angel, which I said, great, I went and learned it, and sang to Neville Mariner, and Neville Mariner said, well, listen, the concert's not full tomorrow, can you learn the aria as well? And we'll do the whole aria as well. And I was like, oh my God. So he comes on BBC Two, live on Radio 3 and everything, and all you see is this sort of tiny face with this huge bow tie, which my mum had made, <laughs> shaking like mad with the coffee, because it was kind of, you know, it's a huge thing. Yeah, quite. And then, what followed on from that was that the same producer was joining up with a producer in BBC London yeah. Network to do three programmes from Israel for the BBC One, two at Easter, one at Christmas. And, you know, everyone thinks that Walking in the Air was the kind of the highest selling sort of record I had. And it was the BBC albums I saw more than any because they're wonderful at the time. They did this programme, BBC Enterprise decides, oh, we'll, we'll release an album, which is about 4,000 copies, and we'll plug it after the programme. So the programme was watched by 18 million people. Yeah. Yeah. They said, and if you like the music, the record's in the shop on Monday. Well, by the end of the kind of first week, it sold 200,000 and got into number nine in the charts. So wow. it was kind of... Because in those days, everything was in one chart, wasn't it? Whereas these days, it's all divided. Mm-hmm. So that's a hell of an achievement, isn't it? It was great because we then released the second album, and whilst I was recording Memory with Lloyd Webber, he then took me to Nordoff Robbins and said in his speech, I was so embarrassed, at a music trust dinner, he said, oh, I bet none of you can do what this guy's done this week, because it was Bruce Springsteen at number one. I was at number two with All Through the Night, and at number nine with Voices from the Holy Land, and Rod Stewart was going, oh, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> I was only sort of 13 or 12 or something, yeah. you know, and I was there, I was sat between Tim Rice and whoever, it was great. And this, this is all before this? Oh yeah, way, way before. Oh right. So when did that come about? How old were you when did that I was about 14 and a half, 15 when Walking right. the Air came out. So you were already quite established before that happened then. I mean, because I thought it was the thing that launched you. No, the BBC was the Because I'd already done, I then signed to Virgin. Right. And I'd released three albums before Walking in the Air. They'd right. all sold gold as well, so. Oh, I didn't realise that. I thought it was your, you know. It's funny because that's the way it's come about now, yeah. I think, you know, it, um, over the years. I think it's basically it's because that's the thing that's played every Christmas. Yeah, so that's the one. So how does that project come about? Yeah. I was asked by EMI to do it. Right. Um, there was another boy doing it at the same time, a guy called Peter Orty. And it just so happened because of the publicity I'd had before that my mm. single kind of went up the charts. Mm. And 
it was such a surprise for me because you know I, it was probably one of the most it was the hardest songs I'd ever sung because when it, usually I knocked off an album in sort of mm. six hours or something like that you know um, and this walking there took sort of a, nearly a day because it was more sort of pop than classical sort of singing alien to your experience yeah a little but it was great you know I loved it I had a great time recording it but it just took a very long time and I thought well there we go you know nice song you know be on the video and everything great I was really excited about it and then having getting constant phone calls saying oh it's gone into number 13 the charts has gone into and then it was like suddenly to the 14 and they, were, they want you on top of the pops and I was like oh god steady on because it was a programme I'd watched who else was on top of the pops when you did it it was Pet Shop Boys who were at number one with West End Girls okay. and um, presented by Mike Smith I can't remember who else was on it oh it was of course um, Do They Know It's Christmas oh band aid yeah yeah is that how you came to do a thing for Bob Geldof's wedding or something? No, he, he just liked my singing. Oh. And I think I met Paula in a charity event or something like that. And we really got on, you know, we always had a good yeah. laugh. And out of the blue, we, again, we got sort of... My dad used to get these phone calls at work. Oh, hi, it's um, so-and-so's manager, Bob Geldof. Yeah. Will, will he sing at Bob's wedding? And dad was like, you know, um, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so your dad was your manager in those days? I had a classical music manager, Harrison Parrott, who looked after all the classical things, but most phone calls came through to my dad, either from my management or from other people. Was that a deliberate move to keep you from getting too out of hand, the whole thing, because they wanted to make sure you remain sane out of it all? I don't, I, it's always because I think I wanted him there, you know. Um, I, I, even now, when there's things I'm not quite sure whether I should do or not, I always ring my dad Probably. to kind yeah. of to ask what he thinks, you know. And invariably he'll say what I don't want to hear, and then <laughs> I go, no, 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 don't you think? But, did you get much female adulation at that stage? Only from the over 60s. Oh, really? <laughs> no, it's amazing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not now sort of married to an older woman. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I think it was Wogan that said that most of my kind of fans were older people, oh. yeah. Which was, I suppose, the, the case. It was only in Japan that they were kind of teenage girls, mm. which was fabulous. Right. <laughs> Did they throw themselves at you in Japan? Yeah, to have kind of bodyguards and all this kind of rubbish. Mm. We didn't expect it at all. We got off the plane there and there were thousands of screaming Japanese teenage girls. Did you not get any like, letters from girls over here or anything? Oh, yeah, there were a few. At the, at the, the height of kind of the... Before walking in the air, but walking in the air brought my audience down a lot. I did it. Then my, they, I'd get the letters from young girls. The then, down, yeah, yeah. yeah but before that, yeah, yeah, before that, it was mostly um, old dears. Yeah. yeah, but seriously, sort of about you know, 100, 200 letters a week from yeah. yeah, it was amazing. Any weird stuff? Oh, loads of weird stuff. Yeah. Such just people giving me advice about what to do when my voice breaks and sort of right. being quite graphic about it as right. well, you know? Right. And there were people that would write and say they'd kill themselves if I didn't show them love and all this sort of business. Oh, that's you know? yeah. It's the usual stuff, really. Celebrity <laughs> stuff. It's the stuff I write now. Yeah. I, I interviewed Raymond Briggs last summer, the guy that oh, wrote yeah. The Snowman. And although he, very, obviously, he is very respectful of your voice and, the, and of what you did, he can't stand that record anymore because of, it reminds him of the whole, he can't the snowman anymore and does it have the same effect on you but, um, not at all but I think it's, it's probably different for him because he did the whole snowman didn't he mm. and okay Howard Blake did the music for the whole snowman mm. as well but Howard Blake did the music for and the words for the whole mm. of walking in the air and Raymond Briggs had nothing to do with it yeah. so I could, I could probably understand that 
But no, I think I'd probably need counselling if I felt like that, you know, mm. if I didn't... It doesn't haunt you then? Not at all. It, there was a time when I was kind of 18 or 19, just coming to London, and I'd be in a pub or something in the centre of London, and someone would see me there, and they'd put on walking there in the jukebox. Oh, right. yeah. But now if that happened, I would just laugh, you know, and just yeah. kind of, you know, I've got no problem with it at all. It so comes on itself, which is every Christmas. Right. And you know Claire works for Virgin Atlantic. Right. Well, their boarding music Christmas is that one of the songs is Walking in the Bleeding Air. <laughs> so I was there, sat in business class with my glass of champagne, ready to go on holiday, you know, because I'd get free flights for Virgin to Claire. And those bells. Went, kink, 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 kink. <laughs> Newspapers up. <laughs> kind of bright red face, you know. Because I read in one of those articles that you said every time it comes up in a shop, you run for the door. But is that an exaggeration? That was an exaggeration. Right. It's, it's basically, it happened in Selfridges. I was, I was buying someone a Christmas present, and as I was handing over my credit card, and he had hold of one and I had hold of the other, it went ding, 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 ding. I know from that point what's coming. Yeah. And I got a bit of an instant panic reaction. Yeah. I kind of went, yeah. and then, you know, what's the big deal? Exactly. So, you know, yeah. But I didn't kind of yeah. run for the door or anything. Yeah, but it's not something to be ashamed of either. I mean, you must be incredibly proud, and, you know. Well, it's, it's been great for me because every year it's, it's come on, you know, and it's, it's... Do you get royalties? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Good. Yeah, no, it's, it's fabulous. You know, it's... it's and it's also, I'm, the only joke I've made of it over the years is that, thank God I sang it in tune, because I didn't ever knew it was going to kind of be this big. You know, I could have just sort of not yet sang so it. You, they would have had it if, they, if you hadn't sung it in tune. They wouldn't have recorded it, would they? Well, no, maybe not. <laughs> I'm quite a perfectionist in the studio, so I'm always kind of, yeah. you know, some people will let things go, and I, yeah. I never, ever will. That's why I think it took a long time. It brought you lots of other things, didn't it? Other projects were offered to you as a result. Well, they're not just singing projects. You've got a chat show, didn't you, I thought? Yeah, yeah Chatterbox, the chat show. Oh, it was a chat show for children, right. but it also tackled subjects like bullying and oh, drugs, and, yeah. and that's where we kind of I started getting the negative press really because I was talking about all these kind of things like underage sex and stuff, and of course the tabloids wanted to know what I thought yeah. about all of it and was I doing it. Yeah. We had people sort of camped outside the house, news of the world and stuff, yeah. trying to get a story, and there really wasn't one. I had a girlfriend at the time, did. yeah, and you know that was that, and they wanted pictures of me with her, and I was only sort of 16 or 17 right. and she didn't want to have a picture of any right. paper, you know. And so you weren't interviewing celebs on your chat show? Oh yes I was. Oh were you? Yeah. Who did you interview? I interviewed Gary Wilmot, mm-hmm. who I think is brilliant anyway, um, Jason yeah. Connery, a few kids from Grange Hill, mm-hmm. Jenny Powell and people that were presenting around the time, like Neil Buchanan and Jenny Powell. Um, there's two guys that used to do children's ITVs, remember there were two of them here when it first started, the same time as Philip Schofield. They came on. It was mostly ITV people because it was ITV. So did you think you'd made it by that? Did you really think this is the life for me? I no, I was always aware that I didn't really know what I was doing. And when that happens to me, I get really sort of panicked and wary a lot. I knew that I enjoyed doing it, but I didn't really know how to do it. So I knew that I'd go back to it in the future, but I was kind of wanting it to end, as well, wanting me to kind of learn my craft before being on national TV again, you know what I mean? Mm. How much of a difference to your career did your voice breaking make? Because everyone expected it to be the end of you. It was such a relief when it happened. It was very late, wasn't it? Uh, it was very late, yeah. It was the lastly bands and the tablets and, and the heavy bricks on the head. <laughs> what you know? was it really, though? I think it was just because I was quite small. Right. They um, hadn't given you some special pills or anything. They're still there. There's a question Frank Skinner asked me. He was being really outrageous, and so I was giving it back. Mm. And the heads of BBC were there, and they were rolling about. And in oh, the end, the audience were booing Frank and cheering me, and he was <laughs> not happy. <laughs> Did you find that a lot of people over the years have failed to respect you because they've sort of just taken the piss out of you? Really? It must be very hurtful, isn't it? Not really, because I'm, I'm, I'm 
I'm driven by kind of wanting to do the best I can. So if I'm happy with the finished product like this album, mm. I think one of the interviews at Christmas, the lady said, oh, you know, I didn't, she didn't like the way I was singing Tears in Heaven or whatever. Yeah. That, could, that thing couldn't bother, doesn't bother me in the slightest no. because for the simple reason that I can listen to my album and my producer can and everything and we think, God, at the time, that's the best I could have done. And so that, that you know, that doesn't bother me at all. But nobody's ever going to be satisfied. No, but you can't satisfy everyone, can you? I mean, exactly. some people well, still want you to be singing the same old class songs from 12 years old. Exactly. Well, there's music on there that kind of will appeal to everyone, yeah. I think. Probably mostly to the older audience, you know, the middle of the road kind of thing. But got the chestnuts roasting on the open fire. You know. Exactly. I listened to it this morning and yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah, it's good. It's, it's, it's I a like kind Jerusalem of best event. It's a splendid definition of it. Oh, it's coming off. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, I love that one. Oh, do you? I always thought it was the best track of the whole album. Yeah. Oh, my God. But I've always liked that song. Right. Also, but I think that's probably why. But it really is an excellent track. I just, it's, it's kind of a bit too exposed for me. And, and also, it's the English rugby anthem. Of so, yeah. how can I have that on as a, as a Welsh one? Welsh. Welsh. You know? <laughs> like I'd, never, I'd never be able to go back to sort of Cardiff Arms Park. Lovely. So, it's just going to be axed and that's it. Mm hmm. I've been fighting to get that off the album, so it's, it's coming off. Yeah. Apart from doing the chat show, you, you did one or two like personal appearances, and you did the, the Paulie Yates wedding, as we said, and you did you did a performance for Diana, didn't you? I sang privately as a boy for yeah. the Prince of Wales. Yeah, I sang like a half-hour concert in Kensington Palace. Or well, it was yeah, it was longer than that. Actually, it was uh, it was about it was just a very strange thing because I'd sung for the Queen with Leonard Bernstein yeah. in the Barbican, which was probably the best concert I've done. He was a genius. He's, yeah. he's yeah. one of my heroes. Yeah. You know, he was. He he kept kissing me a little bit too much, but oh, you know, well, he kept sitting on my knee and stuff. And at one point, sitting on your knee mm. could be the other way round. <laughs> and he, he was just full of fun. And I, he, I'll tell you the story for the, the Diana one that we were rehearsing for. It was a dress rehearsal for the concert what for the Queen. Was it? Just a, um, just a concert. His music. It right. was the Bernstein Festival right. in the Barbican, and yeah. then in Rome. And all these sniffer dogs were going around the barbecue while we were rehearsing, and all the press were there. And I had a copy, and I was like, and he'd look at me and goes, Don't you know it yet? And this is a laugh. And he's just laughing. And he'd be conducting the LSO whilst this is going on, chorus 200 behind. He's going waving like he does massively. And I said, Yeah, I know it. So he went, grabbed it and started conducting with my coffee. So I'm still singing. And I'm singing away, and he goes, Do you want it back? And I went, <laughs> so he got me in a headlock on his podium and he's going this guy's nuts but he was like that all the yeah, time he, was he, was just, he gave me his home number oh, after the concert and said really let me know what's going on in the future and everything like that maybe he had more of an interest than you wanted him to have <laughs> no I, I don't know about that but he actually he did have a genuine interest and oh, he was kind of and I think he just liked the way I sang his piece yeah. you know which was such a, a privilege for me to have the guy that's actually written it which of his pieces did you do? Chichester Psalms right okay because I don't know that one yeah, I know it's, it's beautiful <laughs> oh Chichester Psalms right, okay. absolutely that's fab yeah. it's really good did you record it on a CD? yeah I recorded it it was once on an RPO label but it's not now it's it's probably on an album that's called PAAs or 4A Requiem and right. oh, I love 4A Requiem anyway the thing. Yeah, we just got a phone call out of the blue saying that Charles would like to hear me sing right. before my voice broke. So Diana and I'd met loads of times before I knew because we shared the same hairdresser, Richard Dalton. Oh, right, yeah. Um, he used to cut and diamonds and mine and Diana's hair, and that's it. I met him through my great uncle. 
and we became friends and everything. So you met her in the salon a few times, died then? He didn't have a salon, he'd go to her home. Oh, right. And yeah, I'd yeah. go to his home, right. sort of head over the sink. It was right. very glamorous. Yeah. But um, we used to write sort of small notes to each other occasionally and stuff like that. You and Diana? Diana yeah. Really? And... Have you still got them? No. No, 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 no. Really no, 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 no. It wasn't. It wasn't one of. I, I'd never do that kind of stuff anyway. Well, I know you wouldn't be a keep Well, frame. I've already got. I've got a beautiful photo in Wales on a, a royal frame, um, signed from both of them and a picture of them both, Wonderful. which is great. You know, right. it's really lovely. Yeah. 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 Where was I now? But yes, and so we just turned up to Kensington Palace, and it was the most nervous I'd ever been in my life. My friend drove us up in his Rolls Royce, because we were going to take a taxi. My mother, my company's from Wales, and me, driving up Kensington Palace, you know, the guard there and everything, letting us through, and I was literally crapping myself in the front of the car. So much so, because you know the Rolls Royce door handles are quite sort of stiff, I couldn't open it. I was like terrified. And we got in, and the equerry was there, and um, the butler, who we knew anyway, we'd met sort of socially before. Paul Burrell? Yes, it, no, it wasn't Paul Burrell. It was, it was, this was probably, God, how long ago it was. I'm not sure if it, it might have been him. But anyway, no, it wasn't him. And we're sat in their living room, you know, in their personal living room. And um, Charles walks in, he's so kind of lovely. He shakes my hand, he says, I can't wait. And he's saying, Diana's just having a swim, she'll be in in a minute. And he says, my mum, do you want a drink? And of course, mum didn't know. Mum didn't know kind of, what does he mean? Do you mean coffee, tea, water? Or, um, so basically, he said, you want a gin and tonic, don't you? Mm-hmm. And she instantly put her at ease, yeah. of course. And yeah. he was just really charming. Diana walked in with wet hair. Yeah. And I sang for about an hour. I started singing with sort of wary walk hand songs. And I just with the two of them yeah. sitting there? Yeah. It must have been bizarre. It was really bizarre. But it was, you know, we had a chat between songs and stuff. And then, and then Diana would say, have you got anything else? I said, yeah, do you want to hear Beatles or something like that? And he said, yeah, great. So I'd sing Beatles. And then I sat down with them. Beatles for, as in something from the Beatles? Something by the Beatles? Oh, yeah. I sang Hey Jude yesterday. Brilliant. All that sort of stuff. In your high voice? Mm. And then basically um, sat down for a chat. I sort of a five minute chat, and we were there for an hour, an hour and ten minutes. Fondest memories. What was the one moment you'll never forget with Diana? Anything, an exchange you had? That... It was probably in mould for Bernardo's, and I'd been brought along because North Wales, you know, moulds in North Wales have come and meet. Mrs. Diana. I'd met her sort of ages, and she was going along the line, chatting to her, and saw came to me and said, "What are you doing? Here? Are you following me around?" And it was just kind of a real. Yeah, yeah, yeah normal kind Friendly of reaction, it was yeah. great, you know, it was, um, and that's what she was like, you know, we, we also, I'm a vice president of a appeal at Christmas, Judy Dench is the president, and it's the Nine Lessons and Carols in St George's Hanover Square, Wonderful. with Westminster Cathedral, Irish guards, band, trumpeters, it's all dinner jacket and ball gowns, right. and last year we had Judy Dench, Patricia Hodge, Anthony Hopkins, myself, Ian Hislop, mm. all these people reading, and usually there's a world-class soloist as well, and this year we've got Barbara Windsor's doing it. Right. Um, William Haig, right. Gwen Taylor, and then there's a huge champagne reception, which is the best part, in the Wallace Collection, you know, oh, Manchester yeah, Square afterwards. Yeah. 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 Um, the EMI building, the old EMI. That's, that's yeah. where we yeah. did Walking the Air. Right. That was the EMI building. Right. My flat's just up the road from that. You recorded it? No, no, but we recorded just around the corner, but that was their office when I was yeah. doing all that. Yeah. They groomed me in there. Yeah. <laughs> but she was patron of it, oh. Diana, and she came along one concert, and one of the Christmas now when I was narrating it, mm. um, which is you know the biggest job you have to do there because you have to link yeah, the whole yeah, thing yeah. together. And she's right in the front row, and on the video, only between Robert, like uh, the guy who actually organises, he's the chairman of the whole thing, has got. Um, there's a moment where we both wink at one another. <laughs> oh, right, that's nice. Yeah, How lovely. Mm. Right 
how did you feel when that awful accident? I couldn't believe it for a very, very long time. Mm. How did you hear the news? Do you remember? I was in Blackpool, not in Lytham St Anne's actually, um, in my girlfriend's mother's house. Mm. And she came into our room and just said, really dreadful news. Mm. Because you wouldn't expect it to be Princess Diana, you know. Yeah. And she explained the situation, put it on the TV, and it was just like for about a week. I couldn't, couldn't believe it. I kept thinking that it was kind of a mistake or something, you know, that it, she wasn't really alive or whatever. And it was. I went to Kensington Palace and went to the, the gardens, you know, where yeah. they had all the flowers. Did you? Yeah, and as I went. A hunter, as it were. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. like no one knew I was there. So I, was, I, I, I went twice because I hadn't really kind of cried or anything like yeah. that. And I went the night before the funeral, and it was just the most moving thing I've ever seen in my life because it was pitch black, but all you could see were thousands yeah. of people and thousands of these candles and flowers, yeah. and flowers everywhere, yeah. and just sort of moans and groans and crying yeah. coming from people you couldn't see. And it was just kind of I went with two friends who mm. are from outside London, and they were friends of my mother, mother-in-law, to be. And we just, all of us couldn't, couldn't believe it. It was just kind of, and they went, and I just stayed. I stayed for about four hours or something. I just couldn't kind of leave the place. And that's when I kind of thought, my God, she is dead. You know, yeah. this is kind of unbelievable. When was your last communication with her? Really? Oh, not, I didn't see it for quite a while before she, she died. I probably didn't see it. I was about 21. She died when I was 27. Yeah. So it was about six years. As you said earlier, there have been reports that all your success earlier on made you a millionaire three times over. What is the truth of that? To be honest with you, it sounds kind of pathetic, but I haven't got a clue. Um, it's possible. I don't know. I, all I know is that, you know, um, of course I'd be, I'd be lying if I said, I, I, you know, it hasn't lead me, helped me lead a comfortable life, you know. Um, but other than that, all I know is that, um, you know, it's all put away and funds and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's never an issue, to be honest with you. Um, You're not a big spender, really. I suppose I, I, you know, I kind of eat out quite a lot um, and I buy quite a few clothes, but that's about it really. It's quite amazing really because most um, artists, if they're singer-songwriters, they get a lot of money. But it must be all your TV stuff and all their personal appearances. Well, again, I don't know. if it might, if I might sort of be worth £2.50, you know. Um, <laughs> but as I say, I, I don't think so because of, you know, I've been able to buy property and, and Baker Street. And I think, because I actually made worldwide probably about 18 albums. But then they were all what, uh, an area we've missed completely. Is, I suppose Japan, which mm. was the most mental time, because mm. I couldn't actually sing Boy Soprano, but I was pretending that I could. Uh, you know, and I was there narrating. Well, no, I, I didn't mind, but I was. It was never brought up. Yeah. So, so I, basically, I, I was there narrating Hansel and Gretel in Japanese right. with the Vienna Boys Choir. They'd sing it, and I narrate it. And then during the day, I do this sort of interview nine times a day. Have you still got fan clubs around the world at all? In Japan I think I've got a fan club, oh. but not here. Right. Um, I think it's going to start again. If you, do you ever go over there these days? Uh... I'm going over with the album in January right. to oh. launch the whole thing over there, so it's going to be quite interesting yeah. to do. I'm looking forward to it. I love Japan. I went twice as a youngster. All my albums, they released 16 in Japan, I think, and they all went to number one, one after the other in Japan, which was, you know, amazing, really. To go back to your youngster days, a lot of people probably expected you to have a, to crack up at some stage and have a nervous breakdown. It's still to come. <laughs> Did you ever have a really tough time and you couldn't cope with it all, or...? Not really. Um, at that age, you never take it that seriously. Mm. You know, it's all a great laugh. You know, I'd never tell anyone at school what I was doing, but every Friday I'd either be going to Hollywood or mm. Rome or mm. Japan or whatever. So, 
it was such a varied four years. I did everything from, as you say, chat shows to singing mm. in the Albert Hall, to singing on Miss Marple, mm. to singing a pop song, to... So it was completely different every week. The only pressure, I suppose, that I put on myself, to be honest with you, was when I forgot my words in front of the Queen in the Royal Variety. Singing memory of all things. Right, yeah. right, right. Yes, and as Rory Brembra said, ah, you haven't got one, have you? <laughs> it's very amusing, and he hit him. <laughs> so is it on that show? Did no, no, he saw backstage, yeah, yeah, he was yeah, having yeah. a joke with me. Because yeah. I was mortified because right. no one kind of noticed. Did he just repeat the same line? No, I made them up. I made the second verse up. It was the, I still have nightmares about that, and it taught me such right. a great lesson because Weber said, oh, just use the copy, I don't care. Just use the, the copy, use the words, I don't oh, right, care. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was great. And the director at the time, I can't even remember his name, but. Um, he came and said, no, you look ridiculous with the copy, do it, right. you can do it without the copy, do it yeah. without the copy. So I said, okay, listened yeah. to him, went on, saying, midnight, not a sound, I'm Came to the intro to the second verse, which goes, ding, 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 ding. It was in Edinburgh, in the playhouse. I remember looking right to the back of the hall and seeing an exit sign in green. And I went, and that ding, 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 I thought, I haven't got a clue what comes next. I haven't got an absolute clue what comes next. Queen's there, watched by 200 million people or something. Behind me was Linda Evans and sort of everyone, you know, Monk House a lot. And I thought to myself, what are you? And it was just the panic that brought some words out. I made a sound. Mem- memory. All alone in the middle. I can hear a choir singing. They're singing alone. I can hear them a choir singing beautiful songs and the memory lingers on or something like that. And then went back into the normal words for third, fourth and fifth of verse. It suddenly came back to you. Yeah, but I was like, my next What year was this, the Royal Brad? It was about, I was about 13, right. 13 and a half. Did you fear that would give you stage fright for him? Not really, because everyone was so nice afterwards. Webber right. came running on and he said, no, words were better than the original, it was fine, it was great. And he was really angry with the director for right. putting me through it. Yeah. And of course, press the next morning, because I did a crack in one part, because I was kind of shitting myself. You still got it on video somewhere? My mum and dad have got it. Have they? It was, um, it was actually part of a documentary. Yes, that's right. There were quite a few documentaries. Four, maybe, yeah. yeah. Well, the main one's The Travel. That was the one that got the Emmy in America, which I didn't know about until I heard it on the radio. I'd got an Emmy, and the BBC gave me the Emmy for about quarter of an hour and then they photographed me with it and then took it away from me. Yeah, classic, yeah. So it's propping up someone's door, propping in broadcasting yeah. house. I did Melinda's Big Night In, you know, on Channel oh, yeah. 5 recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did they show it? They showed it. Oh. And I haven't seen it for years and years and you can just see the terror. Uh, fear is real. Yeah. Oh. And of course the Express the next morning said, 20 minutes left of the voice before it breaks because right. they'd heard this crack and that was four years before it actually changed you know? and the only advice I gave her was don't let your balls drop <laughs> I like that what was your favourite moment of all at, at Golden Time? there isn't one favourite because they were all so different right. um, you know I loved going on things like Saturday Superstore and stuff mm. like that and I mm. loved going on Roland Black with Samantha Fox you know but also equally I loved doing the Bernstein concerts um, I loved being in Israel because I'd never been really right. abroad like that before and also seeing it at Bob and Paula's wedding was such a lark it, it was it was probably at the time it was probably one of the, the, the largest weddings you know it was it was the Posh Spice and Beckham wedding yeah, at the time absolutely, yeah. you know the marquee and the press being kept out by security mm. guards and George Michael kissing my mum oh, and gave her a peck on the cheek she was <laughs> over the moon you know? best moment of her career mm-hmm. oh lovely that sort of thing really right. but also the moment where I heard that um, the record's been in the charts and stuff like that 
did, did things ever dry up for you, or have, they always, have you always been busy? I went through a stage where, having stopped singing at 16, I spent the next two years in Japan, then decided to go to the Royal Academy of Music. I was 18, way too young. Right. The voice hadn't developed really enough. It's only now that my voice is starting to develop. You know, if, if we spoke to Ria now, she would be the first to say that my voice in Joseph was probably not ready to be doing that every night. You know, I was 20 or something like that, right. 21. Even bodily then, I was so skinny. I was kind of nine and a half, ten stone, you know. So it's only recently that it's kind of I'm getting broader and the voice is changing all the time. But anyway, so went to the Royal Academy of Music way too long. Had my childhood there, really. You know, ran the bar, had a good laugh, going out in London every night with my friends. It was a really good time. But kind of got really frustrated quite quickly with it. And during that time, I got an opportunity to do two plays in Northampton with a great director there called Michael Napier Brown, who was in you know, um, Morecambe and Wise and all those sort of shows in the old days. And the first one was How Green Was My Valley, Welsh play, no acting required, playing little boy, and really enjoyed it. And so he invited me back the following year, whilst I was still in the Academy, to do Martin Chuzzlewit, Dickens. Lots of acting required, uh, not a brilliant script compared to How Green Was My Valley. Me speaking in RP, I was like, what the hell's RP? How'd you do that? You know, I haven't got a clue. I hated every minute of it. Every what night I'd come off stage, I'd go, oh, received pronunciation, okay, so right, yeah. you oh, lose yeah. all accent, you right, lose yeah. sort of everything, you can put anything, right. just a normal kind of English voice on. And every night I'd come off stage, kind of knowing what I wanted to do, but not knowing how to do it. And Michael would see this every night, I was in kind of agony, going, mm. you know, I get really kind of hard on myself, I really do. And he said, well, why don't you go to drama school? You're only really like, what, 20 years old or something, why don't you just leave the academy? You can always go back to it if you want to, you've done, you've mm. done all the training there anyway. I wasn't really learning anything in the academy, I didn't want to do opera, I was far too young. So I auditioned for Bristol Vic because he told me, why don't you get out of London and go to Bristol, it's a great school. So I auditioned with sort of 7,000 other people or something and they, I wanted to go on the one year course and they said, you're far too young to do the one year course, why don't you do the two year course? So I thought, great. So off I went to Bristol thinking, that's oh, McDonald, actor's life, you know, a couple of hours a day and how wrong I was. It was the best thing I've ever, the best thing I could have done because it was 11 hours a day, every day. And it was like fame, this is where you start pain and sweat. It was, I couldn't dance before. And I was the youngest in my group for five, five years. They've Did it get you anywhere though, that training? Bristol, oh yeah. gosh. You've done a lot of stuff since then. Oh, I've done, not, not just acting, but it gave yeah. me confidence. Because you don't just do acting, there you do yeah. singing, movement, mime, puppetry, there's a yeah. lot. Yeah. So, I just feel now, whatever anyone throws at me, yeah. in any situation, I'm not, you know, yeah. it's not a problem at all. And I wouldn't have been able to do Joseph without Bristol. Mm. Not a chance. Mm. Because, you know, um, I was the only Joseph to do the little dance at the end. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was down to Gail Gordon, because I couldn't move at all right. before I went there. I was, you know, two left feet, literally. Mm. And I was the lead in their final show, which is Salad Days, yeah. with a ten-minute dance routine in the yeah. middle, tap, yeah. dance, the lot, you know. Yeah. Who else did you train with there? Any other celebs? Um, not at the moment. They're all kind of mm. doing their bit, I suppose. Um, one of my best friends there, Richard, he's 10 years older than me, and he'd right. been a lawyer in Hong Kong. Mm. And he was my kind of my drinking partner in Bristol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's on about three adverts on TV now. He's on the BT advert at the moment with E.T. Right. Oh, is it? He's the clean father. And also another friend of mine, Guy, he's on a few adverts on TV as well. But they all do their plays and stuff as well. It's just that we've gone in 
I suppose totally different directions. Yeah. You know, after Joseph, I'm in a local paper in Wales, and they say exactly this. Actually, but I did Joseph far too young because had I done it now, I'd probably end up going from this to another musical right. to another musical to yeah. another musical, playing kind of juvenile, lovely, or whatever. But having done Joseph, I was ten stone, skinny, right. looking about sixteen. I yeah. couldn't go into anything. There wasn't right. anything. So what do you want to do now, though? Keep doing albums? Or? Yeah, I want to. For I'd like to do musicals. I'd like to do a musical. I'd like to do a new musical. Um, I'd like to create something if I was going to do one. There's a musical coming in, I think, next year that Charles Aznavour has had something to do with. And I think he's brilliant. I absolutely love Charles Aznavour and that kind of music. But there's loads, there's loads I'd like to do because it's only by doing this album over last year that I've decided that I want to sing again and I want to... Because I thought, yeah, OK, I'll do musical, I'll do you know, the radio, the TV, whatever. Um, when was your last album prior to this one? When I was 16, so it's been 12 years. Right, you're now 28, yeah. is that right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. What way do you want to do this one? Well, because I've been working on kind of the singing, on the voice and everything, mm. with a musical theatre teacher, to be honest with you. Whenever I'd sing kind of songs that... I'm always writing as well, so I'm always kind of... I've got three songs on the album that I've written. Yeah. So that's always been... That's been keeping me going a hell of a lot. I just thought that... Now is the time, to be honest with you. I've been working on, on The Voice. I've been working with a producer called Christy Hennessy, who's an artist in his own right in Ireland. You know, he's out of Salt of U2 in Ireland. Right. But it's kind of folk pop. He's a 60-year-old guy. And he's given me a hell of a lot of time. I did a single for the BBC called Get Well Soon. It was a series with Anita Dobson on TV. Yeah, yeah. And I did the theme tune to that. And that was a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got to meet Christy. We started working every day. We started writing. We've written about sort of 60, 70 songs together. Mm-hmm. That basically, you know, who knows what will happen to. And mm-hmm. I'll probably end up recording them eventually. And I just, I knew Telstar. I'd done a record for them when I was younger. Right. Um, I knew that it's owned by two people that I know anyway, mm-hmm. Sean and Neil. I think I've got four or five albums deal with them and I'm more than happy because in the old days Telstar was seen as a kind of a compilation sort of not yeah. artist led yeah. label T V mm. hits thing, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's certainly not like that now. Yeah. It's um and it was said that you postponed the release of this album last year because of Charlotte Church. Yeah, that was crap. I didn't it wasn't my choice to postpone the album. But if that was the case I think Charlotte's got an album coming out this Christmas, so I might never release an album again. Um, yeah. No, 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 no. The decision came, we finished the album I think in the middle of October. Now Woolworth had said they'd take the album. The album actually wasn't finished until the second week of October, which means that I would have to get it out of the shops ready. It should have really been out. Everyone else's album was out at the beginning of October. Mine wouldn't actually get into the shops until the middle of November, which meant that the shelves would be full of other albums, and there was no chance that it would sell. I think it's got a pre-order of 50,000, so it's not its not like it's only going to sell 10,000. It's already got a pre-order of 50,000 copies, which if I released it in April would get me to the top 10. But, you know, it will be a Christmas album, because yeah. that's kind of my audience, I suppose. I hope, anyway. Do you still have a hardcore following of old people or whatever? Well, I'll tell you after Christmas. Um, I think so. You know, I, I still get sort of massive feedback from people. And most of the people I've played the album to, it's sort of right down their street. It's not going to offend anyone. Yeah, I think so. I hope so, anyway. Um, because 
what's come about by doing this album is that the same feeling I had as a boy mm. has remained with me. It wasn't there when I was doing Joseph, I was just singing. Yeah. Music, yeah. And, and basically you can tell in the voice, you yeah. know, um, I can now just lift a piece of music and mm. give it the emotion, give it the feeling instantly, and that's what I had as a boy. And that's come back, because it wasn't there for a very long time, and that's, that's really sort of heartening, it's, mm. it's great, you know. Um, and it's the first time, I suppose, as an adult, I'm proud of something I've produced. You know, I spent a hell of a long time, we spent, well, it's not a long time, I suppose, it's a month and a week recording these songs. And, you know, it's got 40 strings, it's got the best string arranger in the world doing it. He was my, he was my teacher in the academy, Nick Ingman. He did Wonderwall for Oasis, there's Cliff Richard, there's Eric Clapton, he is the best in the business. Um, we've got six different guitarists, bass player, percussion, um, drums, Hammond organ, piano, so it's actually, you know, tells I've spent a hell of a lot of money on it, and it, I, I think you can tell. And it's a sort of album you play in the middle of the night on your headphones, and you've got to really hear everything. You know, it's kind of, it's got, it's very clean. I suppose. You want kids? Yeah, I do. Eventually, I don't want them sort of at the moment. We're probably going to sort of three, four years down the line. Right. I think there's a lot I've got to do before that. And your parents presumably still live down in Wales, do they? Yeah. Right. Same, same house. They live in Anglesey, in Manor Bridge. Right. Yeah. Well, the uh, island of Anglesey. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. That's where I was brought up and everything. Yeah. You know. I was back there last week. My mum was retiring from work. She had a party and I surprised her at school. So I was seeing friends I haven't seen for about 25 years. So, you know, it was kind of it was amazing. And then I, ultimately you will go back down to Wales. I think I'll always have a house there. Right. Um, you know, when you're kind of 16, 17, 18, you can't wait to get away from yeah. home. And then there comes a time when you're kind of... You think, oh no, actually it was really lovely there. And I enjoy going back now. Claire and I go back quite a lot just to come up and dad walk a lot in the mountains and stuff. It's great, it's really good. But I'm a London boy at heart. I love London. I love everything that London's got to offer the restaurants, the clothes, the theatres, the cinema, everything, you know. So, and you know, people always say, oh God, you know, but if you're not doing anything, what do you do with your days in London? And you think, well, if you can't find something to do with your days in London, then, then you're mad, you know. And my great uncle's always said to me, you know, when you're bored, in, bored with London, you're bored with life. Did you buy your parents? Home or like that. No, 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 no. Never done that. No, no. They still live in the same. House? Yeah, well, they it's 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 massive actually. Um, they bought it when I was about sort of eleven or something like that, and we so moved. From quite a wealthy background already. Well, both parents work, you know. Yeah. You know, sort of my mum and dad are just kind of normal sort of middle class yeah, people. I think they just, yeah. you know, my mum's a teacher and my dad's an engineer, and that's it. That's all there is to tell. To be yeah. honest, you get more for your money down there anyway, don't you? So. Yeah, and how? Yeah, exactly. yeah and, and how? Bars, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it'll change as well, especially when the bridge is open, if it ever opens. In October, they're oh, they're working like mad there now. I know that. Do you still get do you, a lot of uh, when people see you in Wales? Do they come up and meet you? Oh, yeah. yeah, they love you down there. In Wales, it's it's totally different. If I go sort of to a shop here, invariably, right. unless it's Christmas, then yeah. invariably people don't sort of bat an yes. eyelid. But usually, um, I tend to go to the same places where people eventually know who you are anyway. Mm. But in Wales, you know, if I go to a Marks and Spencer's, then the whole place will stop. And just go, oh, yeah. They come up and say nice things. Like oh, that. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But lots of people just kind of look as well, you know. Yeah, they don't know, they what, always know what you're kind of wearing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, All nice. that stuff. But I'm going back um, to do two programmes the yeah, week after next. Oh, from They have a national competition there for yeah. singers and Miss yeah. Delvod. Yeah. And I'm doing two programmes, one for BBC Wales mm. uh, presenting it and also one for national TV. Mm. So that'll be my week in Wales. Oh. I haven't been back for years doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think a lot of people imagine you had to be sort of scarred and everything else by the but you just uh, no, because it, it's very happy about that. You don't have any regrets about it. Not at all. Not at all. No, not at all. And the, no. the best thing about it is that 
because I was lucky enough to make some kind of money from what I did, you know, there's not a struggle in my life at all. Mm. That you know, if I if I never ever had a hit album again, doesn't mean I wouldn't stop trying because I would. Mm. But I'm not going to go and slip my wrists or anything mm. like that. You know, it's, what means more to me is um, enjoying life and living life to the full. Mm. There's no point kind of getting worried about things like that. Mm. It's, it's, it's not worth it. There's no question you've brought an enormous amount of pleasure to a lot of people. What's the most touching thing that you've received as a sort of appreciation? Like, has an, an old lady ever come up to you and said, you know what, you saved my life? Oh, yeah, there was there were loads of us when I was younger. Um, there were quite a few people that used to said they used me to get some of their child or whatever out of a coma and stuff like that right. in hospital. And that's kind of, you know, there was one lady that said that when she listened to my music, it was like taking dictation from God and stuff. And it's wow. very powerful wow. thing. You know, and, yeah. and that was very flattering, of course. I, I, if I can do any good from it, that's great. But you know, I'm 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 very lucky. I'm very fortunate to. I really love my job. I really love singing. The Christmas thing uh, we were talking about earlier. I mean, this article said that you hate Christmas, but I mean, you you, you don't at all. Do you? Oh God, no! I love Christmas. Christmas is always a time where, you know, because um, Dad works all through the year and stuff. That Mum and Dad and I are always together right. for sort of you know Christmas Eve, Christmas and Boxing Day, whatever. So, no, I'm always at home for Christmas. So I I actually love. Christmas, you know, mm. Dad and I get sloshed on the port, and um, you know, it's just a really. We've, I've got a pool table at home in Wales, and um, there's a huge pool competition between my dad and I at yeah. Christmas. So it's like yeah. it ends up kind of being about 14 all or something on Boxing Day, you know, so kind of like. Do you get asked to sing in your local church at Christmas? No, never. Are you quite I, religious? I, um, I don't go to church in right. London at all. I haven't since I've been to London, right. which has been how many years now? About 10 years. Right. Yeah. I listen to kind of religious music a lot on the radio and stuff like that, but again, usually on. Sunday. Yeah, I, I, I believe in God and everything like that. I suppose I am religious, but as I say, yeah, I don't go to church. I don't. I go back to the cathedral at Christmas in Bangla, usually for midnight mass because I love that service. It was always the service when I was a boy that you know we were all sort of saying, "What are you having for Christmas?" Or and then the, the stroke of midnight saying, "What are you having today?" You know, it's like there was a big thing at sort of 11 years old. You know, and it, it was also kind of a bit naughty or up that late. You know what I mean? And kind of so. Christmas is still a big. It still gives you. I love it. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 it's for me. It's the best time of year because. um, Do you like the carols? Don't you? I mean, even though you don't go to church, to go to the West End and sing. What? What? what, We have this charity event at Christmas, and that is nine lessons and carols. So that's right. And I've chosen three or four of them this year. So. no, I, it's, for me, that's the beginning of Christmas. It start, it's on the 16th of December, and it's a massive event. It's so kind of, the lights are brightly yeah. shining, you know, and, yeah. and the congregation and choir are singing these gorgeous carols. I love carols. I used to go to the Joy to the World concert. Oh, yeah, it's much better than that. Is it? Yeah, it's finished now. Yeah, it has. It's a it's yeah. hundred times better than that, because mm. it's on a smaller scale, and it mm-hmm. just really seems to work. Mm. It's very elegant. They raise about £200,000 in one night, which is probably, you know, more than anyone does in one night sort of concert. I mean, as, as for most people, you are part of Christmas. Is that something you're very proud of? You're associated with Absolutely, yeah. I think, it, I think you it's... You go a, around with a little bit of a bell on Yeah, that's why. And I actually, I'm, it's getting harder and harder for me to fit down chimneys, but... Um, <laughs> No, I, I think it's 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 a real honour because you know it would been very easy if I hadn't done walking in the air that people wouldn't sort of think of me as much and it's 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 a it's, it's a great honour that people still like that song and they still associate me with that time. So you still listen to it? At walking all. Do, in the air. Do, yeah, do you ever play it? Um, no, I don't. I only recently saw the cartoon for the first time. Oh, yeah. yeah, I didn't. I never kind of watched because when I was actually that age, I was always kind of out doing some other things, but. 
I've got three or four CDs at home which have got you know the best of Christmas yeah, and all that, and it's always on there. Yeah, so, um, well, yeah. so if I'm doing something and I can't be bothered to fast forward, then I'll just mm. kind of it'll be on the background. But you know, I, I don't just don't take. Well, it. I bought your record, <laughs> so I hope to make you wealthy. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. What a Is there any um, big ambition you really love to uh, become a film star or? Rock the thing star I'd like or? more than anything is to be acknowledged as a concert artist again and not sort of be pigeonholed into musical theatre or middle of the road it's my stuff I tend to think is more like a kind of a Harry Connick Jr. type yep. thing that eventually my second album will have probably five songs I've written on it and and they're all songs that they're not going to shock anyone you know they are ballads yeah. whatever but yeah. they have come from me so yeah. um, it's your own unique interpretation yeah and, and I always find that to sing them is much easier than to sing other things I suppose that's my great wish. I would absolutely love the album to do well. Right. Um, but if this one doesn't, then I hope that the second one will do better yeah. and the third one will do better than that. Yeah. And I suppose the thing I'm going to do with this career that I didn't do as a boy is I want to do America. And the country or the song America by Leonard Oh, no, the whole country. Oh, okay. The whole country. Because it's... It's amazing because over here, I can see how what I did as a boy will yeah. be a negative aspect for lots of people. But in America, I don't think it will be. It'll, it, you know, I think it's it's more of a kind of a, a positive thing there because they didn't really get anything of me in America. I did the Hollywood Bowl, but that was about it. Yeah. You know, God, I turned down so. Johnny Carson to come home because I was wanted to play football for the local team. Any personal ambitions that you that you have that like you want to you know, climb Everest or something? Like that, or? No, not really. I'd like to learn to fly. Yeah. Had any Christmas message? Just to have a great time because I will be. Yeah. <laughs>